Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a great show for you today. It's another question and answer show, and this time it's all about soils and compost. The gardening season is underway, and I bet a lot of you are getting those hands dirty, those trowels dirty, and those shovels dirty. Uh, you might have questions about soils, and we have been getting some into the extension office. So these are from real people like you, listeners and viewers. Uh, so we are going to be answering these on air. And you know, I am not doing this by myself. I am joined, as always, every week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville, Illinois. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. I think spring definitely has exploded in the last, say, last week. It's been nice and warm. It's It's everywhere now. Uh, spring has it's uh it landed right on our heads um <laughs> the, we had storms roll through illinois last week we had lots of lots of thunderstorms and immediately after that things just went from brown to green everywhere uh flowers popping everything's happening right now yeah we need to get some more rain though our, our raised beds are starting to dry out to drag out the hose and start watering here soon i know it's been well it's been so we, we don't, we, things are greening up, but we don't have as much vegetative cover as normal. And so soils are exposed. They're drying out very quickly and it's warmer than it has been in years past. Uh, just listening to the news uh, last night and we on are averaging about 15 to 20 degrees above average uh, <laughs> this spring. So for this last week. And so, and even as we record this, the next few days, uh, early April, we're going to be in the eighties for several days and so it's going to be hot yeah and it's been windy too which is going to help suck mm -hmm. that water out of the, the soil so exactly so it's going to be uh it, for, for us in our neck of the woods there's going to be a lot of farmers out in the field uh tilling spraying do all kinds of stuff and so uh it's it's busy busy right now but ken i think we have to talk about uh the elephant in the room here we have a theme song that we have been using to intro this podcast last several times. And I will, I will admit to you, Ken, I was not in love with this at first, but now I can't listen to an old episode. Like we go back to old episodes for some of our clerical reporting stuff. I'm like, there's no intro music. This is <laughs> lousy. I love this song now. And so uh, listeners, viewers, you, you probably are familiar with this, but Ken, you, you tracked that song down for us, so thank you. You're welcome. Procrastination is a, it's a powerful motivator. It sure is. Yes, after three years, we finally have an intro song, um, and it's 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 over the top, and I love it. It's great. <laughs> so, Ken, I guess uh, we can't delay any further. We do need to get to these questions here all about uh, soils and compost, so would you mind kicking us off this week, please? I can do that. So I think we've got a several question here, several questions here on amending soils. So start with the first one here is a I am a novice gardener. Can you recommend a user friendly soil test for me to buy that will guide me through the amendment process? Well, I, I would say a user friendly soil test that guides you through the amendment process. And so in this case, the question is about they want to test their soil. And then they want step-by-step step what to do after that. And they want to buy a kit probably to do this all at home. And, and I will say when it comes to soil testing, the stuff, the kits that you buy at the store really don't provide reliable or uh, consistent results in terms of like soil nutrients 
probably the best thing you can get out of that is a pH reading. Um, even that can be a little bit inconsistent. So we, we recommend using a commercial lab. It costs probably the same amount as those kits that you would buy at the store, uh, plus postage. Uh, you got to send it to the mail, or if there's a lab nearby, drop it off. Or a lot of times your local soil water conservation office will just do it, take the soil sample and send it off for you. So um, you have options, contact wherever you are locally, uh, soil and water, your extension office might know where to, to get a soil test or, or how to, where to send it. Um, but Illinois Extension, we no longer do soil testing here as a, a state organization. Uh, yeah, Ken, I haven't seen much in terms of uh, reliable home soil test kits, at least. Have you? I haven't either. And like you said, <clears throat> you're paying for a commercial one's probably going to be about the same price, if not cheaper, than buying a than buying a kit from the store. Mm -hmm. And, and they will give you recommendations. That soil lab will give you recommendations based upon those results. And then the other thing, they, you know, Ken and I, we get soil test reports uh, from, from gardeners, landscapers, uh, uh, fruit and vegetable growers. So whoever, if you have that report back from your soil test, we're happy to talk about that with you. And so uh, I just did that this morning uh, for a home gardener who, who had a overabundance of phosphorus in their soil. Let's just say that. And so, uh, yeah, but we can have that conversation once you get that soil test results back. And one thing I'd add for that soil test, wherever you're doing it, make sure you're telling them you're doing it for a garden mm -hmm. for, for residential use. Otherwise you may find out how to grow, how much fertilizer you need to grow corn and beans, uh, not for your vegetable garden. So <laughs> make sure you include that. And a lot of places will include uh, the analysis or like a write-up of it. Some places don't, so that's another thing you may want to check on too. Yeah, give them a call, ask them what they do, and ask them what they need. I always say, just ask them, how much soil do you need? How do you want me to collect it? Uh, we also have videos on that process, and I can leave a link to those below in the show notes and video description um, on uh, how to gather soil tests. So we can we can definitely provide that. Well, Ken, on to our next question, and you've probably never had to deal with clay soils before, um, but what, <laughs> how do you amend a heavy clay soil? Do we, do we have any suggestions for those people? So your best bet is to do uh, organic matter, compost, something like that. That'll help loosen up that soil, improve the drainage, uh, and so on. So organic matter is, is probably going to be the number one. You hear uh, sand suggested a lot. Uh, but that gets kind of tricky if you don't put enough sand in there. Uh, you end up making like cement, mm -hmm. and it's and you got to put a lot. I don't know what what the exact ratio is, but it is kind of a mind-boggling amount of sand yeah. that you're probably never going to buy that much. And you know, when you look at that soil textural triangle that has clay, silt, sand. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take much clay to be a, a clay soil. Like uh, the clay takes up a huge part of the soil textural triangle. And so, uh, like Ken said, the volume of sand to outweigh or to to mitigate the 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 clay soil, you're talking dump trucks and stuff. So uh, you're amend you'd be amending on a, on a broad scale. So compost, organic matter, um, you know, some type of uh, degradable mulch material that, that can help. Uh, a lot of people are turning to cover crops as well. 
And, and so there's, there are options out there, um, but just buying a bag of sand at the store is not going to cut it. Or do a, a raised bed, just ah, build, build yes. on top of it and avoid it altogether. Avoid your lousy, heavy clay soil and just grow on top of it. I like that. Make, make some pottery. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So our next one, speaking of sand, what kind of sand is best to add to a small garden? Well, when it comes to sand, uh, if, if you're, I guess if you're going to be amending on a small scale, in my mind, I would say the coarser, the better. And by coarse, I mean the larger sand particle sizes. Uh, you probably want to avoid a lot of the fine particle size sand, which would be like clay sand. Um, I don't know if some of the masonry sand is a little bit finer textured, uh, but but some of the bigger coarser stuff. You want to be able to see probably little pebbles in there uh, in an ideal uh, setting. So coarser, larger sand, if that is the, the avenue that you're going to turn to. Is it called a sharp sand sometimes? Maybe. It, yeah. I, yeah. There'd probably be multiple names, but yeah, you're, you're wanting a larger particle size. You do not want the, the, the fine particle size. No. Pool filter stuff. Or is that big? Yes. I don't have a pool. Uh, so. I don't have a pool. Uh, <laughs> Couldn't tell you. I'll have to go <laughs> go talk to some people that have a pool, <laughs> which is not me. Okay, uh, so our next question is uh, about manure. So when is the best time to add manure or, let's say, other fertilizers to the garden? So for your your manure, if you're doing like a raw, uncomposted manure, uh, you want to put that on in the fall so it's got time to to break down. Because that manure could have uh, pathogens, bacteria, stuff like that. That could, especially if you're doing this on a vegetable garden, uh, that could have human impacts. Uh, so it just should be um, 120 days before harvest if the the crop is going to be coming in direct contact with it. So if you're growing leafy greens, uh, carrots, things like that, they're actually going to be touching the soil. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be 90 days before harvest if the the part that you're going to be eating is not exposed to the soil. Things like sweet corn, uh, probably tomatoes would fall into that too. So, so fall is going to be the best time, or first thing in the spring, uh, if you're going to be doing that. Ideally, though, you'd probably be using composted manure that's going to be broken down. If it's composted correctly, there shouldn't be there should be fewer weed seeds in there than a mm -hmm. than a fresh and things like that. As far as fertilizer. That's going to depend a little bit on, on the type you're putting down. If it's an organic kind of slow release, uh, you could probably, some of those you could probably get away with uh, in the in the fall, like a compost, something like that. Others, again, early in the year, if it's a quick release synthetic type, like your liquid fertilizers, things like that, uh, that would be kind of almost as, as needed because that's immediately available to the plants. It doesn't need to be broken down. To release the nutrients like the, the organic types will be. And uh, I think, as we've mentioned, do a soil test just to know if you even need to do any of that. Um, as I had said right off the top of the show, we uh, talked to a person with a soil test report that came back that they actually had seven times the amount, the maximum amount of phosphorus that uh, they, they should have in their soil. And so that, that's almost to the point where that amount of phosphorus is toxic to the plant because it doesn't allow the plant to take up any other nutrients. Uh, it, it, so 
those soil tests are very valuable. Uh, again, we can leave a link down below to uh, different soil labs, uh, both commercial labs and university labs. All right, we'll stick with the organic matter and manure here. How deeply should we mix in organic matter, such as manure or other sources? Okay. Well, provided that we are, again, doing this in the fall, um, usually the recommendations that I see when they are, are recommending to till or incorporate uh, organic matter like manure into the soil, they're saying uh, very often till it to a depth of six to eight, sometimes 10 inches. Um, so you're, you're tilling, you know, significant uh, a portion of that soil volume. Um, it's not always necessary, especially if you do this in the fall to, to always till it in. Um, a lot of times that organic matter can work its way down through that top layer, that soil profile. Um, but, but if you, uh, and I know people who they are looking forward right now to firing up that tiller. It's what they do every year. Nothing I could say about soil structure and all that's going to stop them. Uh, they're going to want to know how deep to till uh, six to eight, sometimes 10 inches, depending on the crop that you're growing, if it's like a carrot root crop or something. Okay, Ken, so our next question is about the, the quantity of organic matter. So is it harmful to have organic matter over 5% uh, in terms of your soils? I don't know about over 5%. I, you probably don't want too much more than that. Uh, if you start getting in, into too much organic matter, you probably start getting into that double digit percentage. Uh, like your soil test before, they probably had quite a bit and you start can get too much phosphorus. You can't start getting nutrient levels that, are that, that can become potentially toxic uh, to plants. So you're again doing a soil test and seeing, you know, if you've got 5%, you may not need to add any compost or whatever for, for a year or two. Um, and, and especially if you get, you know, those double digits, stop, don't put it down for a while and let that kind of work down. Uh, so it's not creating a, a potentially toxic environment for your plants. Mm -hmm. Again, another good reason for soil testing. So you can monitor your organic matter levels because a lot of times people will say, oh, I'm going to put, um, I, I need soil and they'll go buy a bag of compost. Well, compost is organic matter and organic matter is not permanent. It's not a mineral like sand, silt, or clay. Um, and so compost or organic matter is not permanent. It, it can go away, it can build up. Uh, so it, it, it can shift over time. And so that's, again, another good reason for soil testing, just to monitor your organic matter levels. So next one here is, are coffee grounds good to put in the garden? And if so, how much? Um, I, I would say I, I don't often recommend coffee grounds to go directly into a garden setting. Um, just thinking about what are coffee grounds, they are the, the, their coffee beans, that have been roasted. And a lot of people see the coffee grounds, maybe after they come through the coffee filter, they're wet, they're gross. And um, they think, well, this looks like soil. I can just put it onto the soil, but it's not soil. This is just a ground up bean. It hasn't decomposed. It hasn't done anything yet. So a lot of, uh, or any of that like plant available nutrients, they're, they're not there yet because the, the grounds still have to go through that decomposition to release those nutrients to those plants. Um, and so you, you can try a compost pile, uh, in terms of, you know, to, to decompose them. 
um, to make them more plant available. But you do have to be a little bit careful of coffee grounds in general because they are acidic. And so, you know, that might be more of a situation where you would use this around uh, like that, some type of coffee ground compost around something like blueberries or azaleas or uh, rhododendrons, acid loving plants uh, in, in that in that the location there. Um, so just be careful with coffee grounds. I have had a worm bin for over 10 years now. And I realized that I was actually getting dangerously acidic because I kept putting my coffee grounds in there and the worms were not surviving. And I'm like, why did my worms keep dying? And then after doing some research, I'm like, oh, I've been putting coffee grounds in there like every day for like two years. And they're just, <laughs> I think the acidity of coffee is like anywhere from 4.5 to 5.5 uh, as it comes out of the, the pot there. So I imagine the grounds are quite acidic. You know, I don't know, like a big pile. I'm saying this as a person who does not drink coffee, so I don't know how much people, <laughs> how much coffee grounds people produce. But I think like a big pile, it's probably going to have a negligible effect yeah. uh, on the pH. But yeah, something smaller like a worm bin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got to be careful. Uh, coffee grounds and citrus. Yeah, they, uh, worms don't like too much acid in their, in their bedding there. So you got to be careful. Okay, well, Ken, in terms of uh, kitchen scraps and throwing things out into the yard, uh, is calcium from eggshells a good uh, source uh, for calcium? And how do you make it readily available to plants? I'd say it can be, uh, but just the eggshell itself, again, like every, like coffee grounds and a lot of other things we've talked about, it's all tied up. Uh, so it's going to have to be broken down in order to release those, that, that calcium from there. So just tossing eggshells into a compost bin or anything like that. Um, it's You're not going to get the calcium from that because that stuff's going to take a while to break down. Uh, get your blender out or your whatever food processor. Grind that stuff up in, into more of a, a powder. Uh, and then you can add that to your compost and that'll break down and release that calcium much more quickly. Yeah, because eggshells are hard. Like they are, from a chemistry standpoint, it's hard to break them down. So make them smaller so there's more surface area for microorganisms to to do that job faster oh yeah you turn it into a powder i like that yeah well move on to composting then since we've already started on a little bit here mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. can i put kitchen scraps directly into the garden or does it need to sit in a composter for a little while before it goes into the garden this is an interesting question i probably should have reviewed these a little bit better um, but before the show, Ken and I were talking about this particular soil test from this morning and um, the with the overabundance of nutrients that the soil test report had. And the, the interesting story here is the client, he's been married for you know, over 40 years. They've gardened every year, he said, and they, they fertilized a few times decades ago. But the main thing that they put out there is kitchen scraps um, for decades and decades they have been putting kitchen scraps out there in the garden now i think the first thing that came to my mind was like wow and you don't have just a like a, a multi-generational family of raccoons that live there in that garden um or what what's the rodent problem like there or just all these uh i just just see you know rocky raccoon bellying up to the bar out there um Yes, you do need to compost these things like coffee grounds, like eggshells. This stuff is not plant available right away. Um, and so composting them first, well, that way it will break it down in a more controlled environment as opposed to just dumping them on the ground and hoping 
they decompose or the, the rodents environments don't get to it first. So uh, yes, it does need to go to a composter first. Yeah, I don't know how they wouldn't have wildlife everywhere. One year we had our compost a little too close to our garden and we just got wiped out. Things would go from the compost, eat stuff, squirrels, mm -hmm. whatnot, and then just run right into the garden. Yeah. <laughs> and just eat everything. I, I yeah, I have no idea. That that must be the must be like a, a Roman fortress or something. I don't know what's what's <laughs> happened there. Oh, right. Well, our next composting question is how long do you compost table scraps uh before introducing them to uh, garden soil? And it looks like they're asking specifically like including like fall leaves with this too depends it depends i like that a lot of that depends on what type of composter you are if you're a lazy one like me and you just have a static pile that you don't turn and really take care of you just toss stuff on it it may take you a couple of years uh, before you get a good compost if you're somebody that's actively turning and watering if it needs water and you've got a nice good active hot pile couple months with probably three three four months uh probably basically you need to compost it until you can no longer tell what it used to be it should look like <clears throat> compost or kind of like soil it should be crumbly shouldn't smell it should smell earthy you shouldn't be able to smell your your coffee grounds or your your carrots or whatever you put in there it should no longer look like that stuff just nice and like the stuff you'd buy at the at the store or the nursery so just mm -hmm. yeah just depends all right, so we'll move on to old potting soil. We've got a couple questions about that here. What do you do with used soil from pots? Oh, Ken, what should should I be honest about this? Uh, I do <laughs> reuse it, although with extension, we often say it's not a good idea to do that. Uh, it does depend what you grew in there in the years past. Um, and so so especially if I in my yard, uh, I do have to rotate a lot of my like tomatoes, a lot of my solanaceous stuff, rotate that into pots for a year just because of lack of full sun area. And, and so I would not plant a tomato in the same pot that I had a tomato in the year before. I would not put a pepper in that pot. I would not put a potato in that pot. Nothing in that, that nightshade family uh, would go in that pot. Now I might take the soil out of that pot and use it to plant uh, say my my mums for the fall, uh, or or perhaps I, I have some vinca, uh, some uh, I, I believe I might have this. I'll I'll correct it here with some text. Uh, Cephalanthus, I think. No, that's that's not that's that's the wrong one. That's buttonbush, I believe. I'll think of it and I'll just put text right here about the correct vinca species because people are probably thinking I'm talking about ground cover, but that's not it. Anyway, um, so yes, I would take annuals cosmos all that stuff and i would put that in that soil um but petunias are also in the nightshade family so you might want to avoid that um but but so yeah that that is my strategy i i try not to reuse potting soil for the same family or the same crop or uh yeah ken do you got any uh probably more better ways to utilize <laughs> old potting soil than what i just described uh, i don't know about that i uh I reuse to some extent, sometimes dahlias, they get brought in the pot, they get taken back out in the pot, and they never leave. Uh, and after, usually after a couple of years of, of stuff being in the pots, I'll, it gets dumped in the raised beds. 
uh, or in the vegetable garden mm -hmm. and that organic manner. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my potting soil, old potting soil this last year wound up around our blueberries. Um, and that's just, just because we had a spot that, that was a little bit lower there. And so, um, we, we just top dressed our blueberries with old potting soil and I, I don't think it'll kill them. That's I'm doing other things that are killing them besides that. So <laughs> like, like neglecting them, probably not spraying them when they have a horrible disease, but that's another show. We'll talk blueberries some other time. Oh, uh, can uh, next question about old potting soil uh, concerns a component of potting soil perlite. So perlite is often used as a soil medium or as a, a kind of facilitates good drainage in that that soil media. But since it's not biodegradable, is it bad if we put this in our garden soil? Um, I would say no. So perlite is basically is volcanic rock that's been heated up and kind of turned into popcorn almost, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's inert and doesn't really react soil it'll hold on to some moisture but it's not holding on to tremendous amounts so i i don't think it's going to really affect anything you're not putting it on there in quantities where uh it would cause any problems and even if it you did put a lot on there i'm not sure how many are or if it would cause any problems it may help your drainage a little bit but again it'd be kind of like sandy you'd have to put a just ridiculous amount yeah on there to do much good it's, yeah, it's like, so yeah, I just I don't mind in in the garden raised beds, and I have not seen any. It's not you know scientific proof, but I haven't seen yeah. any ill effects. No, I think the yeah, like you said, I was thinking of the sand thing too. As we had talked before, it's like this the sheer volume of soil to the like handful of perlite that's in potting mix and end up in a container uh, probably won't won't matter that much so yeah it's just it's an inert material don't worry about it yeah and if you're walking around and working in there you're probably crushing it mm -hmm. and after a few years you probably wouldn't even recognize it anymore it's ground up all right next question here can you plant directly into the bags that soil comes in i see people do this a lot um you just you go to the garden center you buy a bag of topsoil or garden soil or whatever they want to call it and they just cut like a slit in it and they plant their stuff right in it. They don't even take it out of the bag. Um, you know, if you're doing like flowers, annuals, things like that, yeah, that might work. Um, if you're doing something like a tomato, yeah, probably need to put it in a pot or something where you can develop a good root system because you're not going to get much of a root system in a bag. It's only like two feet wide uh, by like two and a half feet long. So it, it you need more volume. You need more more space or more ideal space. The other thing I've noticed is that those bags, they can get really hot uh, in the sun. So you'd be cooking your root system as well. And then this doesn't really have anything to do with growing in it. But I, uh, whenever I see this, people doing this, I am always amused at the weeds that pop up also. It's like, there's like, they, they cut the slits in there and they planted their tomato in it. And then not only is there tomato growing, but they have like a whole like quack grass or crab grass is like just eat like has just sprouted all over that bag. And so something to be, keep in mind is that, you know, soil has weed seeds. Uh, we talked about that a little bit with our compost pile, but 
manure has weed seeds, the soil has weed seeds. Uh, it, it, it's a lot of management there. So um, yeah, just something to keep in mind, something I've noticed over time. Yeah, I've seen it done with potting soil too. Yeah, just slice it. And I'd say if you're going to do that, um, poke some holes in the bottom so that oh, yeah. when it does rain, you're not turning that into a swampy, <laughs> nasty, anaerobic uh, mess. There's speak from experience. We left some uh, bags of potting soil out over the winter, uh, and we went to use them yesterday, and they smelled lovely. Oh, because <laughs> water gosh, got in there and they <laughs> could not get out. So. Put some holes in there so the water can drain out and like you said like tomato something big if you're going to try that a pot you know a very small only getting a foot foot and a half tall maybe two feet mm -hmm. or you're going to be building a giant trellis <laughs> around that plant to support it because that's that's going to be so top heavy compared to that uh, yes little bag of soil or potting mix you've got it's going to tip over in no time mm -hmm. yeah yeah, my my tomato containers are um I I can't lift them by myself. They're big and they're heavy. <laughs> and so uh they tomatoes need a lot of soil volume when they're growing in a container. So just just be mindful of that as much as we can give them. Be ready to water a lot, just like a mm -hmm. pot if it dries out. Yep. Yep. Well, Ken, our last question for today about soils and composting and this person is asking should we bother with cover crops in a raised bed or in containers for containers i would say probably not because ideally we're not using the same pot over and over again and and i would say typically the pots people are using are not terribly large uh, and, and using a cover crop in there probably isn't going to do a whole lot of good Raised beds, you could probably uh, do that. Again, theirs are, you know, more of a perennial type thing. So you've got that that soil in there for years, and um, if you've, that organic matter in there is going to break down just like it would in the in the ground. So adding those cover crops can help reduce some of that. Could help with weed suppression, depending on how you use it. If you just use it as a, a mulch, you know, you can grow it and then uh, kill it off. Use it as a mulch on your on your raised beds. I, I think you could, uh, it would work in a, in a raised bed, again, provided it's not a little tiny raised bed. If it's a somewhat decent size, um, I would say it'd be good. Now, if you've only got one raised bed, you know, I don't, the quantity of seeds usually you're buying with raised or with cover crops, uh, you're probably going to end up with a whole lot more than you're going to need mm -hmm. if you've only got a, a single bed, but that's all right. Keep it in a cool place. Maybe it can last for a few years for you. I have so many daikon radish. I bought two five-pound bags, and I think I used half a pound. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a lot of, they call oil seed radish. So I got a lot <laughs> of that stuff. Um, and it'll last me for years and years. And, uh, I, and I have done cover crops and raised beds. I've found, I, I do like, utilizing cover crops and raised beds the one thing i've noticed with raised beds is a lot of it, it is an artificially made medium you know we uh I, I normally say you know it's I, I, a perfect world we put as much soil soil remember the mineral stuff the sand salt and clay into a raised bed as we can to facilitate that a natural soil structure uh, but very often it's people mix in a lot of compost with it they mix in a lot of peat a lot of organic matter gets mixed in with it um 
So it's fairly artificial. It settles a lot. And our colleague, Dwayne Friend, I think he was on this show many years ago, and he talked about, was it the glomulin? Is that the right term that the roots produce? And the the glaw, the, it allows the, the soil that we put in the raised beds, it's all mixed up, it's been tilled and everything. It allows it to form a little bit more of a structure for plant roots because that glomulin produced by roots allows the soil Boy, I'm reaching deep into soils here. The soil peds to form, so we have more structure, uh, and it gloms the soil together. Glom. I think that's the technical term, glom. <laughs> I think you're right. So, yeah, give it a shot. Um, uh, in my garden beds, I use a winter kill cover crop. I believe it's it's oats and field peas uh, that, that, that they die in a hard frost. So I'll pop some pictures in as I'm talking about um how we sow those underneath our tomatoes and peppers and then how we use them to create a once living mulch for the the next year well that was a lot of information about soils and compost in the garden today uh, uh my brain is spinning i need to get outside and get my hands dirty again to see what kind of soil i have in my yard and i know it's not that great so uh, i gotta start adding some more organic matter uh gotta get get to work on the soil because that's the foundation of everything folks uh the good growing podcast is a production of university of illinois extension uh edited this week by me chris enroth a special thanks to ken johnson thank you for hanging out with me ken once again this week answering questions uh, uh about soil and compost yes thank you we've got plenty of more things to plant here so i'll be out and digging in the in the dirt or the soil more for don't call um, it dirt <laughs> yeah they dock you pay if we call it dirt <laughs> and uh let's do this again next week oh we shall do this again next week we have We've got a lot of irons in the fire, and so we uh, we have a lot of topics that we want to get to. So it'll be a surprise for you and us about what we talk about next week. But but you better believe it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to learn a lot. So uh, listeners, thank you for what you do best, and that is listening. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.